Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. There is a reason that we have the main text that we'll be speaking from each Sunday in your bulletin. It's basically a threefold reason. If someone doesn't have a Bible or forgets their Bible, I want to get the Word of God in their hands that we have talked about. The second reason why I like to do it is those of you that have study Bibles might be tempted to do word studies during the preaching or catch up on your Bible reading plan and not get much from the effort from the stage. The third reason is those of you that have electronic Bibles might be tempted to update your Facebook status and to catch up on your email bids and stuff like that. And so we have it there for a reason. I love the scriptures in context, and it's my desire that even though you don't have the whole Word of God on the card, it's there and it's not going to be shared out of context. So we're going to just read two of these passages, Psalm 19 and then Acts 17. Psalm 19, the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So the heavens are declaring. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Now, Jewish poetry is such that the words don't rhyme. It definitely don't rhyme in translation. But the thought is communicated in two different ways, sometimes three different ways. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's two ways of saying the same thing. The third way, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That is Jewish poetry. So here he's saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. His handiwork is a revelation of his glory, amen? And uh, as he shows, it's communicating something. As you explore creation, the glory of God is amazing. We laugh about those who don't go to church. They serve God out in nature, and it's fine. But I think you still need people in your life that love the Lord that can help spur you on to good works. The Bible says not to neglect the assembly of yourselves together. But there is something to be said about nature because it displays God's glory. Verse 2, day unto day, that's every day, utters speech. What is it uttering? The glory of God, the handiwork of the Almighty. And night unto night, that's every night, the starry skies, Reveal knowledge. What is that knowledge? Knowledge of his glory. Knowledge of his handiwork. Verse 3. There is no speech nor language. It's all over the world. Where their voice. What's the there for? There refers to the heavens, the firmament, the days and the nights. Where their voice is not heard. All of creation is declaring the glory of God. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that people are without excuse to not know there's a God. All right, Acts 17, Paul is at a gathering of wise men on Mars Hill in Athens of Greece, speaking to the Athenians, appealing to the knowledge that they have based on creation. He declares the existence of the reality of God. He says, God, who made the world and everything in it, 
since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life breath and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men, no matter what race you are. If you have the same blood type and you need a transfusion, a person's in good health, you can receive because we all are of one blood. Every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has appointed their pre-appointed times, God's hand is in history, and the boundaries of their dwellings, God's hand is in geography, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope, can we say hope, that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Is God wringing his hands over this refugee thing? Oh, no, there's some bad people in the midst of those poor people. No, he's using it for his glory. Hundreds of Muslims are going to find the Lord. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your poets had said, for we are also his offspring. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for our hearts today to receive what you would speak to us today in the realm of your creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me put it this way. I, I like, I'd like to think that God is real. There's something else out there. It'd be, it'd be fun to experience either that or we're all just evolved apes. Um, I was raised atheist. I don't believe in a higher power. But I also don't claim to know everything about the world. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I just pretend, I guess, and hope that there's something else out there. Welcome to ExploreGod.com. It is a website that is linking over 400 churches together, of which we are one, in the Metroplex and a few in the Granbury area. Exploring seven questions that unbelieving people Doubting people are asking, does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reality, re, is the Bible reality and is the Bible reliable? Can I know God personally? We're meeting in this very room with multiple discussion groups discussing each one of these questions from week to week. It's not a heavy-duty Bible study. That's not the point. The point is to equip us um, to be ready to do what the Bible says. Be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that is in you, to everyone who asks you. Be prepared. Be ready. Can we say ready? To give a reason for the hope that is in you. If all you have is the Bible and your feelings, you may not be very persuasive in giving a reason for the hope that is in you for someone who rejects the Bible for whatever reason. And you don't have to have a degree and be an intellectual to reason with the unbelieving world, but there's some key truths to home in on that are scriptural that can be seen in the world of which we live. And so we're meeting together, having discussions, allowing anyone in our midst 
to be honest with where they're at in their faith and not to fake it till you make it and to help one another discover. Scriptures are not forbidden. Bible's not forbidden, but it's not a Bible study per se. It's a discussion group discussing these issues. And today is our day to address the second question with 406 other churches. Is there a God? Can you ask someone that? You probably will say, duh, but you need to know in our culture, our people, to them, this is a legitimate question. And are you prepared to testify to the reality of God's existence? Is there a God? Following Jewish tradition, who answer questions with questions, when asked about that, the rabbi said, do we? Jesus often did that. And answer the question, is there a God? Here's a question for you. Is there a cause of the universe? Can we say cause? Every effect has a cause. Is there any evidence of a designer? Can we say evidence? Is there a source of life? Can we say source? Is there a purpose to life? Can we say purpose? Is there a true atheist? You know, for 27 years, I was an atheist. I thought anyone who believed in a god or gods was, well, stupid or uneducated, naive, gullible, or just into the gig for money, sex, and power. I mean, after all, everyone knows that religion is just a psychological crutch for intellectual weaklings, right? So, what changed my mind? Well, look, I tell the whole story in my book, Shattered, but for our purposes here on Prager University... I was simply challenged by my Christian teammates on the Cincinnati Reds to read some religious books, critique them, and then share with the guys where the authors were wrong and why atheism is the only real and true outlook for anyone not deceived by fantasy, fiction, or mythology. I mean, for someone who wants to base their beliefs and values upon evidence and argument, not emotion and tradition. Now, look, simply put, I set out to disprove theism, which I didn't think would take very long. But I ran into some difficulties along the way. (laughs) Difficulties like Aristotle, Augustine, Aquinas. I mean, in simple terms, I was confronted with the awareness that there are really four big bangs that have to be accounted for, not just one. I had never really even considered that before. I mean, we're all familiar with the first big bang, right? It's usually the answer given to the question, why is there something rather than nothing? It's the idea that there was nothing, it popped, and boom, there's something. I mean, that time, matter, and space all came into existence in some great cosmological flash about 16 billion years ago. There was no gradual development, no transitional forms, just a binary flip, a metaphysical, now you don't see it, and now you do. Fine. I want to follow the evidence wherever it leads. However, astrophysicists tell us that this first Big Bang yielded only a handful of fundamental elements and that it would take billions and billions of years for the nuclear furnaces of trillions of stars to yield the 118 elements in the periodic table. But the first theoretical cosmological Big Bang, well, it only yields matter and energy. It doesn't even begin to address the origin of life. So how do you get life from non-life? How did abiogenesis occur? 
I mean, the notion that something can come from nothing. Where's the evidence? Well, you're going to need another something from nothing leap of faith, some kind of biological second Big Bang. For all the mind-blowing advancements we've made in physics, biology, and chemistry in just the past hundred years, we're still no closer to making it happen. We don't have a clue. The closer we look, the wider the chasm. I mean, sure, we've learned a lot about how to manipulate life forms, how to add and subtract DNA material, even map the human genome, but we have no idea how to literally create life from dead stuff. Now, look, at this point, we still only have physics, chemistry, and some basic biology, or matter, energy, and simple life, if you will. But we still don't have a way to account for the great diversity of life forms. I mean, the huge differences between bacteria, plants, and animals. Nor do we have a way to account for the differences between man and animal. We still don't have an anthropology at this point. So we're going to need a kind of anthropological third Big Bang to account for all this, which, of course, is what Darwin was after in his Descent of Man thesis. Now, look, Darwin answered a lot of questions, but he could never answer the core question. How did evolution begin? But, hey, we're still not done describing the world that is all around us. A final Big Bang is going to be required to explain how a mechanistic animal brain can become a self-reflective human mind. Even the lowest life forms have brains and central nervous systems. I mean, how does something like that become the mind of a Michelangelo, a Shakespeare, a Beethoven? Come on, animals don't do art and they don't appreciate beauty. But the problem is even more basic than that. How do you account for free will and introspection, let alone man's pressing existential drive to ask why. Well, we're going to need some kind of psychological fourth Big Bang to account for man's moral and aesthetic sense in his search for meaning, significance, and purpose, and, of course, his appreciation for the true, the good, and the beautiful. And again, you must understand these problems require bangs. I mean, sudden binary pops into existence since there's no evidence for any gradual development in any of these. So I, like you, have a choice. It's either faith in these four big bangs of somethings from nothings to account for what we see all around us, or faith in some kind of creator God behind it all. So, next time someone asks you, hey, what about the big bang? Make sure you ask them, which one? The cosmological, biological, anthropological, or psychological. I'm Frank Pastore for Prager University. Back to our questions. Is there a cause of the universe? You're here. Why are you here? Did you just suddenly appear out of a vacuum? Beam me up, Scotty, and here you are. There is a cause. To every effect, something caused it. What is the first cause? The Christian faith teaches that God is the uncaused cause. In the beginning, God created. In the universe, without God, what is the cause of space, the vastness? You have to basically put your faith in nothing. The emptiness of space has always been in the mind of evolutionary thought. And space is immense. 
and the whole question of the age of the thing and trying to measure that. How can finite man figure all that out? And what caused this? And energy, where did energy come from? And all of its various forms and intensities and properties and hazardous quality as well as healthy qualities of radiation and and fusion and all this amazing thing to do with energy and how it can be harnessed and not harnessed and yet we're trying to harness other stuff. And then in the universe we have the issue of matter. Matter has mass, that is size and weight and diversity, so many different forms and broken down to its smallest component. Is it the atom or is it the particle? And then its largest form, in the form of stars, it's just unbelievable that these things just came into being. And yet there's the order within creation. The order from everything of the order of orbits around electrons at the speed of light to the order of planets hurling around the solar system and the solar system moving around the galaxy and the galaxy moving around the universe. You know you're sitting here, but yet you're flying at the same time. The earth is spinning over a 1,000 miles an hour at its equator and moving 18 and a half miles per second around the sun. And our galaxy is moving at 1.35 million miles per hour. And all this just came into being Gravity just suddenly came into being. All this amazing stuff, we're just scratching the surface of it, doesn't have a cause. And then, of course, time. The whole concept of time. Time past, time future, time in the present that is transitory from the past into the future. Something you can't, you're trapped in it. You can't travel back in time or ahead in time. These things are realities that can be described and studied, but caused spontaneously? And to believe all this at one time was the size of a basketball? When I heard that in science class in high school at normal community high, Yes, I went to Normal High School, the town with the strange headlines. You know, normal man shoots wife, normal woman robs bank. They didn't say anything bad about it or, or abnormal about it. It was normal to them. I almost walked out. The whole universe at one time was the size of a basketball. Hey, I don't want anybody to feel picked on. I'm just just asking. Is there any evidence of a designer? If you go to college and take design class, they'll give you, you know, the top 25 elements of design. I've just picked out a few of them. If it's good design, this is what it is. And as we look at these things, let's see if it kind of relates to the world. Good design is useful. It's not useful. It's poor design. Good design is innovative. Good design is understandable. 
scientists are continually making new discoveries about this amazing universe and planet in which we live. Good design is beautiful. It's aesthetic. And good design is long-lasting. This is describing good design in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of nature, did it just come into being good design? Who designed this thing? If this building was designed properly, it'll be here for years to come. None of us would believe it just came into existence on its own. The difference between man's design and what I believe is God's design is when you bore into man's design and go deeper and deeper, you discover flaws. Right? Perfectionists are bound to always be unhappy because they always see flaws. Man at his best makes mistakes. There's flaws. But in nature, you get some, break out the microscopes and go deep, boring into the design of creation. What do, you do, what do you discover? More and more complexity, more and more beauty, more and more evidence of design. Space. Since the earliest days of man, it has been a thing of wonder and awe. Objects with such diversity and yet so consistent. We measure time and base our calendar on their movements. But to see the spectacular, we don't have to look up. We can start right here with our own bodies. Within a single second, your brain can send and receive millions of signals. It can remember up to 10,000 different smells, and if all the neurons in your brain were strung end to end, they would reach to the moon and back. It requires the use of 72 muscles to speak a single word. 206 bones protect our bodies, help make us mobile, and keep us from being nothing more than a blob. A muscle called the heart pumps nearly 4,000 gallons of blood each day. This blood travels through 60,000 miles of blood vessels. All of the DNA in an adult human body could fit inside one ice cube. Scientists estimate that they could fill a 1,000-volume encyclopedia with the coded instructions in the DNA of a single human cell, if the instructions could be translated to English. Complex parts working together in harmony. The question is, could it have happened by chance? Most birds have skulls and bills that are fused together, but the woodpecker has a built-in shock absorber between his skull and bill. He can pound on hard wood for five to six hours a day. Bees use a circle dance and a tail wagging dance to communicate. The dance accurately tells other bees the angle from the sun and the distance to the nectar. An owl can see a mouse moving over 150 feet away with light no brighter than a candle. To make them lighter for flight, birds have lungs filled with extra air sacs and their bones are hollow. Penguins are fairly clumsy on land, but can move underwater upwards of 50 miles per hour. When you look at the world around us, you have to ask, could it have happened by chance? Please don't feel picked on. I'm just asking. 
Is there a source of life? Did the first cell just spontaneously spring out of the primordial soup when lightning struck? I know when lightning strikes, it tears up stuff. There's a scientific law called the second law of thermodynamics, which basically says everything's moving from a complex to a simple state. Things decay. It's devolution rather than evolution. What changed to violate that law? To believe in the theory of evolution, you have to believe in chance or in what is called the laws of, possi- of possibility or probability. What are the laws of probability? I don't understand it all, so I went to someone more educated than I. Jeff Miller, a Ph.D., in his blog wrote an article called God and the Laws of Science, the Laws of Probability. And in this article, he quotes evolutionist Harold Marowitz of Yale and professor of biology and natural philosophy at George Mason University, Uh, that in 1970 he wrote that he estimated the probability of the formation of the smallest and simplest living organism, the first cell, to be 1 in 10 to the 340 millionth power. That's one chance in 10 with 340 million zeros. Three years later, renowned evolutionist, the late Carl Sagan, made his own estimation that the chance of life could evolve on any single planet to be 1 in 10 to the 2 billionth power. That's 10 with 2 billion zeros behind it. One chance in that to get a cell. But then they they ignore the fact that this cell must be self-duplicating, has to have babies to produce itself because they're not eternal cells. These probability estimations for the formation of life are made by the evolutionists themselves. British astronomer Sir Fred Hoyle once said regarding evolution, the chance that higher forms have emerged in this way is comparable to believing that a tornado swept through a junkyard and assembled a Boeing 747. (laughs) Now, years later, we understand the cell even more to be really complex. The notion that the operating program of a living cell could be arrived at by chance in a primordial, primordial organic soup here on earth is evidently nonsense of the highest order, he writes. Louis Pasteur long ago killed the possibility of this kind of probability by his discovery of what is respected in the scientific world as the law of biogenesis, which says life can only come from life, and that must be related to its kind. Chance is incapable of creating a single molecule, let alone an entire universe. Why not? Chance is nothing. You can't put chance in a bottle. You can't take a picture of chance. It's not an individual. It's not an entity. It's not a being. It's not a power. It's not a force. It can affect nothing, for it has no cause behind it. It has no itness to itself. Unfortunately, many scientists today do not act sensibly. They do not follow the simple and intuitive truth when it comes to the matter of origins. 
Rather, they hold to the impossible, pouring thousands of hours and billions of dollars into research and writing thousands of articles on it, speaking on it, thrusting into the minds of people of all ages and attacking anyone that dares to contradict them with the mountains of information that they have written to push their theories. Since they start with a presumptuous assumption that there is no God, they believe the existence of life is proof enough that spontaneous generation occurred. Prominent evolutionist Richard Dawkins himself in 1982 admitted in one of his writings, the more statistically improbable a thing is, the less we can believe that it just happened by blind chance. Superficially, the obvious alternative to chance is an intelligent designer. Speaking of Richard Dawkins, he was in a debate on BBC at, I think, St. Luke's Cathedral there in the UK. And he addressed Christians as not really knowing their Bibles. He said, Christians know that God is real because the Bible says so and they get it from the Bible, yet the majority of them don't know the names of the four Gospels. Well, the person debating him didn't argue with that. He said, do you derive your faith in evolution from Darwin's book, Origin of the Species? And Dawkins said, yes, I do. He said, would you mind giving me the whole title of the book? Look it up. It's a racist title. Racism is at the heart of evolution anyway. Dawkins couldn't remember it. And in his frustration, he said, it's a long title, The Origin of the Species. And then he said, my God. <laughs> Luck, chance is for Vegas, but not for the universe. I'm just asking, is there a purpose to life? All this amazing life that we see, is there a purpose? Is there a purpose in your life, in mine? Andy Duncan addressed our purpose last Sunday. But what about the rest of creation? Does it serve a purpose? Does the buzzard serve a purpose? Does the dung beetle serve a purpose? Does the honeybee serve a purpose? Yes. This little creature is the only known insect that produces food for mankind. Let me just share a little bit of what's called honey trivia. How many flowers must honeybees tap to make one pound of honey? Over two million. The 16 ounces of honey, two million flowers have been tapped into. A hive of bees will fly, if you combine all their flights, 55,000 miles to generate 16 ounces of honey. How much honey does the average worker honeybee make in her lifetime? Yes, her. She only makes a twelfth of a teaspoon. So it's thousands of them. How fast can a honeybee fly? Fifteen miles per hour. They fly with remarkable agility that would be the envy of stunt pilots, yet their navigation software is packed into the brain 
the size of a sesame seed. Their techniques are being studied carefully at the all-weather bee flight facility at the Australian National University in Canberra. They have within themselves the ability to gauge their airspeed, to stay balanced like gyroscopes, a compass that detects the polarization of sunlight, UV sensors to track the horizon to measure tilt, and two compound eyes, each with 7,000 hexagonal facets that evolutionary scientists used to think was left over from evolution, proof that proof in evolution they've got an inferior eye, but they found out it's actually a superior eye. It's what helps them navigate. They communicate with each other with dances and alerts. Their food includes substances necessary to sustain life, including enzymes, vitamins, minerals, and water. It's the only food that contains penocymbrin, an antioxidant associated with improved brain function. These little creatures have six legs, two compound eyes made up of thousands of tiny, tiny lenses, one on each side of the head, two, three simple eyes on the back of the head, yes, two pairs of wings, a nectar pouch, and a stomach. And when the worker bees go out and get the honey, they bring it back to worker bees at the hive and regurgitate from their honey stomach into the other bee's stomach, and then that bee regurgitates it into the wax cell. And sometimes, just to help it improve, they'll take it back up and regurgitate it a couple hundred times maybe. They keep the hive at a certain temperature, uh, 93 degrees, I think, Fahrenheit, year-round, winter and summer. And that queen can generate up to 1,500 babies a day because the bee only lives six weeks. And if he had the ability to fly around the world, I think I read he would only need an ounce of honey. I'm just asking, is there a purpose to life? Next question, is there a true atheist? Josh Snodgrass, come and tackle this question, bro. I want to start off by saying I don't believe in atheists. I don't believe it's possible to be an atheist. And whenever I say I don't believe in atheists, I'm not saying it to be cute. I'm not saying it as, as some kind of thing you could put on a T-shirt or anything like that, which would be, still be a cool idea. Um, but I'm saying it from the perspective that intellectually it's impossible to be an atheist. It might be something you want to say, but it is intellectually impossible. And here's why. In order to be an atheist, which the word means no God, a, anytime you see a word that you recognize with an A in front of it, it usually means not or no. So theism is the belief in God. Atheism is no God. So the reason why intellectually it's impossible to be an atheist is because in order to be one, you would have to know all things. You would have to understand all things. You'd have to even be able to reach far out into the universe, look behind a planet and say, nope, there's not a God there either. In order to be that, you'd have to be God, <laughs> which then you can't be an atheist because you are God. So it, it's, it, like I say, it's intellectually dishonest to say that you're an atheist. And while I don't prefer this, I would rather hear someone say they're an agnostic, which means that I don't know what I believe in. I'm not sure what's out there. And intellectually, I've chosen not to believe that there's a God, 
But to say that there is no God is intellectually dishonest. <clears throat> now, with that, I hate religion, I, and I really do. I hate, I hate what Christianity has done in God's name that's not good. I hate what Islam has done. I hate what atheism has done in their own religious a- aspects. Now, they will fight you to no end saying that they are not religious. Um, but every human being has a nature in them that they want to worship something. They need, to, they need to explain where they come from. They need to explain why they do the things. In fact, most believers, they want to explain um, why am I bad and how can I get better so that I can go be with someone forever. Atheists want to say, well, since there is no God, I need to explain why I actually choose to be good sometimes. So, so animals don't choose to be good. Animals just are animals. We're not animals. So since they say that they are not a religion, since they say that uh, religions, all religions are bad, I went online and I looked at a lot of atheist websites and looked at their forums and their cute ways of arguing within themselves about how they're not a religion. And so it's funny that they come up with all these ideas of how to create a religion. And so this is from atheism. And so I took their arguments and I just answered them. So they said, so this is my top ten list. They said, the first thing is, in order to have a religion, you have to make sure that your deity is beyond understanding. Now, what do atheists worship? They worship science. Now, science is awesome. I love science. God made everything, and it's, science is us studying those things we don't understand. So, yeah, it's great. So I'm not attacking science. I'm attacking the God science. So what do they study? What do they believe in? What is their God that's beyond all understanding? Theoretical science, things that they guess at, things that they don't have evidence for, like evolution, okay? Uh, the Big Bang, like we've talked about today, we don't know that what happened. We know that all of a sudden something's there. And how about this? Aliens. I mean, you talk to all of them, and you will find that they worship aliens. They worship science. They worship the fact that there's something out there that they can't see that spawned life on this planet. Sounds like God. Um, so, um, Nick, number two is a deity must have an enemy that can be blamed for all things that are bad. Well, atheists' enemy is God. And they, he, they say that, well, God has all of these rules that they actually follow, and we shouldn't force those things on others, even though we do. Like, don't kill people, which, man, that's a bad law. Uh, don't cheat on your wife. That's a bad one, too. So uh, don't steal. Yeah, that's bad, so we shouldn't fo- See, it's, it's illogical. But they have these rules that they force on people as well. So that enemy, our God, is also their God. It's in their hearts. Number three, anything that cannot be blamed on the enemy must be blamed on the non-believer or the believer that doesn't have enough faith. And so this again, this is from their, this is their words, not mine. So, um, so what I say is, uh, there, the non-believer is the Christian or, you know, the other religions, but mainly it's Christians that they're attacking. Um, Christians are basically the enemy or the ignorant. That doesn't sound right, you know. So either you believe in God or you believe in us, but you're too stupid, so you're also the enemy. You know, so, and, and that's what you find. You are either chastised because you believe in a God or you're chastised because you're stupid. And that's, that's illogical as well. Also, what about communism? 
So this the the they they tout that their that their faith is better and that uh, that everything that they do is better. But their one tenant, the one thing, the one government that has come about that deals with uh, that 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 you know strongly promotes their faith, which is no god, is communism. And communism has killed more people since the beginning of time. Has killed more people than any religion has in the last 150 years, 200 years. We've actually had well, you could say a million people per year, but over 200 million people were killed by the communist takeover of countries. Russia, Vietnam, China. If you look at these nations, I'm not making this stuff up. You guys can look at it anytime you want to. Millions and millions and millions of people killed because, you know what, we don't want you guys to believe in God. And so we're going to kill you if you do. It's not funny. It's, it's unfortunate. Number four is that um, we need to make sure that um, that that, that People, we need to understand that people will not believe and use that as proof, since we know that not all people are going to believe. So we want to make sure that we understand that, that those people that don't believe, that is actually the proof that we're right. I don't even understand what I'm saying whenever I'm repeating what they said. But, but people don't believe in certain scientific theories and are persecuted in intellectual inquisitions. And I use that word on purpose because what do atheists attack Christians for all the time? The inquisition in which about 5,000 people were killed. Sounds like a smaller number than you've heard, right? But about 5,000 people were killed over 300 years. So let's talk about modern day. You guys have heard of Ben Carson. Everybody's heard of him. One of the one of the greatest brain surgeons in the world. But what are they? Call, they're calling him stupid now, ignorant, idiot, can't doesn't know anything. But the dude is the smartest and the best brain surgeon that's ever lived, and they're still calling him that. Why? Because he denies what they say is right. Astrophysicists, guys that don't even deal with evolution, will say, "I don't believe in evolution." Well, then you're fired. Why do they have to believe in evolution? To be an astrophysicist. They don't. It is part of that same inquisition, that same firing and that anger that they accuse Christians of, they themselves are doing as well. Once again, it's their religion. We're attacking their religion, so they're, they're reacting in anger. Number five. This is my favorite one. They must have warning signs that the end is near. And warning signs must be the things that happen all the time. Global warming. The need to colonize other planets because we're running out of resources. This is stuff, think about all of the movies that I actually like watching too, but most of the movies are about some catastrophe hitting the earth and we need to move to Mars. That's even worse. Um, But they have these end time things as well. So they have their own religious belief in an end time situation. They must have, number six, must have one or very few chosen ones as prophets. Uh, Pastor Allen mentioned one, Richard Dawkins. If you've never heard of this guy, he looks, and I'm sorry I shouldn't judge him, but he looks like the most hateful man you would ever see. He looks really angry. But if you'll go listen to him, he also sounds mad. He gets angry very easily. I will encourage you, this is the, you, you will cheer like you would at a football game. Go watch a movie called Expelled. And uh, Richard Dawkins is in this movie, and and Ben Stein, if you've ever heard, he's the dry eyes guy from Ferris Bueller and all of that. Um, he actually just asks the guy some questions about God and is God real? And Richard Dawkins is adamant that there's no God and that that life here came by chance and everything else. But at the very end, he admits that aliens must have put us here. 
that takes a lot of belief because then he has to prove where the aliens came from. They must have vague statements, and this is number seven, which is my goes comes from the last one as well. They must have vague statements that can mean anything. Like, um, there is no evidence for God's existence. No evidence. If God created the universe, who created God? Which is, again, if we didn't come here by chance, then the aliens must have put us here. So there's your answer. Where did the aliens come from? Um, And then my favorite one is, God cannot lie, therefore he's not all-powerful. This I actually came up while you were saying this is this is something that I thought of and I told Bobby. But chance is the faith of science. It, it really is. They they always refer to it just like we refer to our faith, you know. But that that's just another one. They must have number eight a list of rules. Don't judge. Even though certain activities that Christians don't like cannot reproduce, those are it's not wrong to do that. It's not wrong to cheat on your wife if it makes you feel good. Okay? It's not wrong to to steal something if you're hungry. It actually still is wrong. You can understand it, but it's still wrong. They have these rules that don't make sense, but they still have their rules. Hey, here's the biggest rule. Uh, don't deny what we say is right. Number nine. Sorry, this does go for, for a long time. Stories that cannot be verified except by telling one's stories. Millions of years ago, billions and billions of years ago, nothing exploded and became everything. And then a bunch of dinosaurs were here. They were all wiped out by a, by a meteor. And then for some reason they all came back. We can't explain how they all came back. But they all came back and they got wiped out again and then people were here. That's, that's the stories. Um, and look, diversity is great, but... It's it's a it's a crazy story. You should read it sometime. Well, you probably all heard about it in school, didn't you? Um, so, uh, and then number ten is they must have some historical truth. Now, here's the thing: there is a diversity of animals out there. If you look at a Chihuahua and you look at a Great Dane, they're both dogs. And if you do some science and mix their stuff together, they'll actually produce something. But how in the world do you have something that big and something that little come from the same kind? diversity the information's already there but you know what they're still dogs they're both dogs um the the big bang there is some element of truth there millions and billions and billions of years ago if they want to call it i say you know about six to ten thousand years ago that's me um nothing was there and then god said let there be light and he created all things within six days so there is some truth they're twisting that truth but there's some truth and you know what um uh climate change even though I'm not a fan of the way they preach it, there is some climate change. You know what? It does get warmer throughout certain years than other years. So they have some basis of truth that they cling on to, but they use it to to rule people. So those are my top ten, or the, the ten answers that I have. And I encourage you guys to use the same things. Take any argument that an atheist gives you. Number one, tell them, I don't believe in atheists, and explain to them why. Say so you're just another religious person, too. I don't agree with your God. You may be thinking, monologues, schmonologues, when do I get to talk? Well, come and join us Wednesday. We'll let you talk, and no one's allowed to pick on you or pounce on you if there's any disagreements. Final point, in conclusion, is there a desire for God in us?
as humanity, is there a desire for the transcendent, for the divine? Some atheists have said that God had to be invented because of the way we are. But consider this. What if God needs to be pursued by us because of the way we are? There's a promise in Jeremiah 20.11 about the plans God has for us. He says, I will be found by you if you seek me with your whole heart. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord with your whole heart. He will be found by you. Last Wednesday we had a glorious youth rally simultaneous with the discussion groups here. But multiple youth groups met at Decker Field to seek the Lord, to celebrate Him. And from that rally, over 80 kids became believers. Isn't that awesome? That meeting was preceded by a nationwide prayer meeting at flagpoles all around America. They do it on the fourth Wednesday of every September. Youth meet around the flagpole to pray and encourage each other to kind of kick the school year off right. Pray for their schools, their teachers, and their education. It's a wonderful time. But all cities aren't like ours in terms of unity among churches. And that is not a good testimony. But in every city were kids that desired to participate in this. And on social media, you see some pictures like this. This child was the only one at her flagpole, and someone captured her. This young man was the only one at his flagpole. Why would you do this? It's not a fad in their area. There wasn't social pressure. There wasn't prizes being given. Just getting there early in the morning to pray and honor God with other youth around the nation. This is the most touching one. Her mother posted this. She's from Lolita, Texas. This is an elementary school child kneeling down in the freshly mown grass to seek God. Why? I believe because there is a desire for God in each of us. Can we bow our heads? I just want to pray a simple prayer. Lord, I pray for every person here that they would recognize a desire for you that is natural. It's not something to fight, but it's something to tap into, to use as a springboard to pursue you and to ask you to reveal yourself. If you're real, prove yourself to me. I open myself up to you, Lord. Generate in every person's heart in this room a hunger to know you more if they already do, and to know you and to have faith dawn in their heart that not only are you real, but that you want a relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen.